0: Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley Podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Mind Valley Podcast. Today's topic is going to be on entrepreneurship. You are going to learn the story of a remarkable woman who, from her kitchen table, built a $100 million company. Her book just came out and it is called What It Takes, How I Built a $100 Million Business Against the Odds. And boy, right, when you hear this story, it is truly against the odds. So we are talking to Reagan Moya Jones, entrepreneur, philanthropist. She's a public speaker. She's a mom of four. And Reagan went on to start Aiden and Anaid, the baby lifestyle brand globally recognized for its high quality Design driven muslin swaddles and baby products. She went on to sell that in 2013. She was recognized as EY's entrepreneur of the year. That is a truly prestigious award. And now she's starting her second company, which is on premium moonshine. So this woman is about to do it a second time. She has some brilliant insights on what it takes to get there. And we are so excited and I'm so thrilled to welcome onto the Mind Valley podcast. Reagan Moya Jones. Reagan, how are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you for having me, Vision.
0: So let's start with your background story because it started in 2003 with a pregnancy.
1: It did. Well, the business, the idea for the business started in 2003 when I had my first of my four daughters, Zenae, and the namesake of the company. And I. Went looking for a blanket that was very common back home in Australia and to my surprise nobody had ever heard of this fabric in America and I effectively thought every Aussie can't have this wrong and if I introduce it to American parents they would respond to it the same way as Australians do because When you had a baby in Australia, you'd use 10 of these blankets a day because they're multi-purpose blankets.
0: And muslin is essentially breathable cotton fabric, right?
1: Yes. Muslin is the actual weave. It's got nothing to do with the actual yarn. So for all intents and purposes, muslin was just an open, gauzy fabric that was primarily made out of cotton. Yes.
0: I see. And so you introduced this to the United States.
1: That's right they'd never heard of it here. And interestingly, nowhere else in the world either. So it seemed to be unique to Australia as a product that we used with our babies. And then that left the rest of the world for me to introduce the product.
0: That is amazing. And I'm reading on your website right now, Muslim originated in Bangladesh during the Middle Ages. It did. Yes. So you went on to start this massive company, I believe it was doing a hundred million in sales. That's correct. But what was that journey like? Not every mom of a newborn comes up with an idea for their baby and turns it into a massive business. What was that journey like? I'd love to know your insights and how this started.
1: Well, I think that having reflected on it now, I always had the entrepreneurial bug in me. I just didn't realize that that's what it was. But I always sort of wanted to do my own thing. I didn't particularly like working for other people and I wanted to be the master of my own destiny. So I had had many business ideas over the years but none of them really seemed viable on further thought about them and so Aidan and Anae and primarily the muslin blankets Was the first business idea I had that I actually thought was viable and that I could scale and do something with it.
0: Wow. So let's talk about that journey for a moment. How did you get started? How did you build that first website, get the first product going? What was that like? Because it's always the starting bit that's the hardest part. What would be your advice for people who are in a similar situation? In short, you have an idea for a product that you know the market needs, you don't see it being available what's the first few things you do?
1: Well, I think that the biggest mistake people make is they have an idea and because they don't know how to move forward with the idea, they often don't actually act on it. So I think that's the biggest issue. When I tell you I knew nothing about manufacturing a product, I had no business background, my background was always sales, I had been in sales for 20 years. I had no idea what I was doing when I started Aiden and Ana And I say this honestly, for the first probably four or five years of Aiden and Ana the company was built on hard work primarily, common sense and Google. I was just working it out as I was going along. I really didn't have a clue. I'd never worked with China. I'd never manufactured anything. I'd never run a supply chain. I'd never done finance, none of those things. I just taught myself as I went along.
0: And you know, that's an important first lesson with Google. If you think about what we have access to today, the average consumer today with Google and a smartphone has access to more information than the president of America had in 1996. That's an actual quote by Peter Diamandis. And so if you have an idea, you have more information than Bill Clinton had when he was president. And surely there's something you can do with that power.
1: That's amazing. I've never heard that statistic, but it makes complete sense to me. And again, one of the main reasons I wrote this book, because when I was initially approached to write it, my first reaction was, yeah, no way. I'm not writing a business book. I have no business writing a business book because I have no background in business. I just basically put one foot in front of the other to get the business to where it was. And I effectively decided to write the book because I really wanted people to see that I had no idea. It's a very honest book. I'm never the smartest person in the room. I'm never the most creative person in the room. I'm never the most connected person in the room. I just had a real passion for what I was doing. I believed in it. And I was prepared to work really, really hard to make it happen. And the whole premise of this book is that If I can do it, anybody can. And I really do believe that.
0: So you said something very important. You put one foot in front of the other, right? In the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, he speaks about a similar concept. He calls it taking baby steps. What were some of the baby steps you took to get to the first viable website and the first sale?
1: Well, I think back to that website, actually, and it was so basic, stumbled my way through it with my then partner who left the business in 2008. So I want to make that clear. I did have a co-founder in the beginning for the first couple of years. And again, we just went on to Google. We worked out how to build a Yahoo website. It was two colours. It was very basic. And I remember the first order that we ever got on it I was like, how the hell did anyone even find us? I was as shocked as anyone that we sold anything on that website, but we did. And again, had no idea. Actually, now, given I've had the luxury of incredibly talented people around me for so many years who are great at what they do, I wouldn't have a clue how to build a website. You know, but now I don't need to actually work it out. I have other people that can do it for me. But when there was no alternative other than to have me just work it out, I did. You know, that was the way it worked back then.
0: And you were selling your products on the website, but surely you also got this in stores around the world, correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. And when I we started Aiden & A, 12 years ago, I guess it was, it was a very different retail landscape back then. Amazon hadn't taken over the world at that point. You know, it was still very important to be in brick and mortar stores rather than just have a robust e platform. Actually, we really weren't very focused at all on e-commerce when we started Aiden, and they It was all about the brick and mortar stores and they were the ones who actually got the word out on our product. So, it was very different back then. And, you know, if I started an e-commerce business today, it would be very, very different than how I started Aiden and A back then.
0: So if you have to advise up-and-coming entrepreneurs who are looking at launching their first business, what would be three pieces of advice you would give an up-and-coming entrepreneur to be able to replicate some of the success you did despite the hardships
1: Well, I would say that the first thing, and you're not really an entrepreneur when you have an idea, although I do giggle a bit at everybody these days seems to think they're an entrepreneur, but if you have an idea, act on it. doesn't matter if you don't know what you're doing, you will work it out as you go along. As long as you've got some common sense, and most of us do have that, you'll work it out. The second thing is, I didn't tell too many people about Aiden and A before I was already on the market doing, you know, some meaningful revenue because I didn't want people to talk me out of it because statistically I was up against it, absolutely up against it. And I even stayed working at my full-time job at The Economist until we had got to a million dollars in revenue because I didn't want to put unnecessary pressure on myself or the business financially. So I chose sleep deprivation over any kind of financial pressure. And the reason I stayed working until we got to a million dollars in revenue is because I had read again, statistically, that of all women-owned businesses, only 2% ever get to a million dollars in revenue. So I use that as my goal.
0: That is remarkable. So you were like one in 50 to get to a million in revenue. That's incredible. Now, another thing, a statistic that is worth knowing for people listening, and gosh, I wish I could remember where this was from, but it's a genuine statistic. And it says, if you're starting a business, stick with your day job the idea that you need to quit your day job and go all in is bullshit. Apparently, you are 30% more likely to be successful if you stay with your day job and then build your business in nights and weekends because you no longer are going to face the overwhelming stress, the financial difficulty that you might go through if you gave up your job. And you did that. You stuck to your day job. Now, how long were you still maintaining your day job?
1: Well, had the idea in 2003, took us till 2006 to get a product to market while we were working out how to make it. And then I didn't quit my day job until May of 2009.
0: I see. So it took you about six years.
1: Six years from the idea to, yes, working on it full time. Yes.
0: And that's very reasonable. I did the same thing. When I started Valley. I still had my day job and I had that day job for about two years before I went full on into valley,
1: Right. And it is a false perception. I talk about it in the book that most people see entrepreneurs as huge risk takers and we throw caution to the wind and go all in. That's actually not true. Most entrepreneurs do what we did. And that is sort of hedge our bets and don't go all in. You actually do it cautiously.
0: And that is the second extremely important point. Most entrepreneurs are actually not these wild, unstructured risk takers. They're not gamblers. Entrepreneurs are not gamblers. And I love that you touched on that. They make calculated, smart choices.
1: That's right. And that's what I refer to myself as. I'm prepared to take a risk but it's a very calculated risk. I weigh it all up before I actually dive in the deep end with whatever it is I'm going to do.
0: And so this is cool, Reagan, because there are so many insights already emerging. One is take baby steps. Number two, don't quit your day job. Number three, don't take unnecessary risk. What are some other lessons that you'd like to impart on our audience?
1: I think probably one of the biggest for me was making peace with failure. Again, statistically, I was up against it. The chances of me taking this idea for a baby blanket and turning it into a $100 million global business, statistically, I had way more chance of failing at that than I did succeeding at it. So the fear of failure is crippling. It sort of blurs every decision you make. You second guess yourself. I'm a big believer in questioning yourself before you make a decision. That's part of the calculated risk-taking. However, when I truly sat quietly with myself and said, okay, I would much prefer to try and give this my best shot and fail than to sit here paralyzed with fear about what I don't know and actually give up too soon. So when I really internalized that and made peace with that, the weight of it was lifted off me. And I was able to sort of push forward, despite the fact that in the back of my head, I always knew that there was a very big chance that this was not going to work out for me.
0: So that's a fascinating idea, right? But how does one make peace with failure? Because let's be honest, again, if we're simply looking at pure statistics, businesses emerge and die all the time. You've got to be comfortable with failure. I failed multiple times. Valley wasn't my first business. Prior to that, I had failed in my first idea and I failed in my second idea and I failed in my third idea and I failed in my fourth idea. And so, you know, being an entrepreneur is often like being a cockroach. you got to crawl through a lot of shit and be unkillable. But what would be your understanding of this? How does one make peace with failure?
1: It's a very internalized thing I think and for me I sort of went to the practical elements of it okay what's the worst case scenario if I do this for two years and then it all goes pear-shaped on me what is the worst case scenario the worst case scenario is I'm in the hole for some money but not money that I could never dig out of that I could always go back to my day job of being a salesperson and you know so I sort of went through all the scenarios of What would be the worst case scenario? And the worst case scenario, again, was never as scary as not giving this my best shot. So I think it's a very personal thing. What's interesting for me is the first idea I acted on ended up a $100 million global business. So I rode a very successful wave. What's interesting, and you're the first person I've talked to about this, is this book was scarier to me than actually starting and building Aiden and Ana, because this was a very honest sort of putting myself out there. I wasn't able to hide behind anything because it's very much me. Now, I'm a type A person, and my goal was to make the New York Times bestseller list with this book. I did everything I was told. I took guidance from my publisher. I had PR people helping me. I spent money on marketing it. I did all the things I was told. And I found out last week that I didn't make the New York Times bestseller list. Now I was pissed and crushed, and I'm not used to not achieving what I set out to achieve. So I'm actually now going through this whole what I consider a failure. As a friend said to me, "All oh, first world problems, Reagan. You made other bestseller lists, just not the New York Times, and you're not Michelle Obama." But You know, it's very difficult for me. So I'm experiencing what I refer to as a failure for the first time. And I'm having to dig very deep to sort of keep going with this because I'm only at the very beginning of starting to promote this book and everything. So it's a very new concept. It definitely knocked me down. Obviously, being fired from my company was my first sort of failure, And that took me about a year to get over. So I don't plan to spend another year in a hole having not been the New York Times bestseller.
0: You know, I totally resonate with that. First thing that even the audience that's listening ought to know is that so much of the New York Times is based on PR and marketing and celebrity books. If you're a celebrity, your book's going to hit the New York Times far more easier than if you're a truly gifted, talented first time writer. But it's no reflection on the quality of the book. Already from this quick conversation, I've gotten so many incredible nuggets that you've shared, and I also really respect you for your authenticity and your rawness. In fact, being able to share this failure is already a big deal, but also one has to admire any mom who took an idea for their baby and created a $100 million company. So firstly, congrats on that. And you're proving that you have another quality of a successful entrepreneur, and that is conscious competence. You know what you're doing, which is why you're doing it again with your moonshine company, which is hilarious from baby swaddles to moonshine. That's going from like soft and fluffy to total badass and hardcore. I like that.
1: Well, I'm both of those things. So as far as the moonshine goes, there's actually more similarities to moonshine and muslin blankets than most people see. I saw an opportunity with a hole in a market segment where I thought I could improve on what was already there. blankets to swaddle your baby existed in America. They just didn't exist in the form of the muslin that I introduced to the country. And then the muslin that I knew from back home in Australia was very utilitarian. It was white. It was sold in cellophane packets. There was nothing beautiful about it. It was just a very practical product. So then I thought, well, I can add a design element to this, make it beautiful as well as practical. And that's how the whole aesthetic of Aiden and Ana came about. And we ended up being known as much for our design aesthetic as we did for the practicality of the products that we actually produced. So then fast forward to the St. Luna, which is the name of the moonshine company, same thing. Moonshine is a very unsaturated category in a multi billion dollar liquor world. And currently, moonshine is really only served a purpose of being very high alcohol content to get people wasted quickly. That was sort of the purpose of moonshine. So we actually thought, well, what if we turn moonshine on its head? An elevated Moonshine and made it a drink that people could sip over ice like any great whiskey or tequila or drink straight, create a sipping Moonshine for all intents and purposes. And our goal is to introduce a whole new audience to Moonshine that has never drunk it before and would never have thought about drinking it.
0: So with muslin blankets, that was because you were actually using muslin blankets in Australia. How much moonshine were you actually drinking (laughs) secretly before you decided to go ahead with this idea?
1: That is a really great question. And here's the irony, right? I'm not a big liquor drinker. I'm a champagne and wine drinker, which is actually probably a good thing because if I started a champagne company, there'd be no profits because I'd drink all the inventory before it ever got to market. But Aidan and Anae and the Muslin Blankets was 100% came from a place of me as a mother wanting it for my own children. And then as I innovated within the company around Muslin, it was all from wanting those products for my own children. The thing with Moonshine is I'm a huge entertainer. I like to drink in beautiful bars and eat in beautiful restaurants. And this was more I truly saw an opportunity to create something different, to turn a market segment on its head. And this was more driven by my passion as an entrepreneur to build and create a product and a business than it was out of you're absolutely right. That is the fundamental difference. I really believed parents needed muslin. I don't believe anyone gets out of bed any day and says, I need moonshine. So there is a fundamental (laughs) difference there. But as a now a true entrepreneur, what excites me is being able to introduce a product and create a fabulous product and introduce it to a whole nother segment of consumers.
0: So for someone who is a product person like yourself, right, someone who comes up with ideas for product, what do you think are some of the most important skills that they need to learn? You mentioned that you were in sales. I'm guessing sales is one, the ability to sell, right? Because the idea that you build a better mousetrap and people beat a part to your door is absolute rubbish. You've got to be able to sell the idea of your mousetrap.
1: Absolutely.
0: So I think we'd agree that sales is one. What are two more?
1: Well, I think you absolutely have to believe in the product. And as I said, Moonshine's not going to change anybody's life, but I am 100% convinced we have created, and not me, it was a distiller out of Memphis that we met and, It was kind of the universe slapping me upside the face going, yep, moonshine is the next path forward sort of thing. And you have to really believe in it because the only thing that will get you through the hard times when you're building a business from scratch, and I'm sure you can attest to this too, is the passion you have for what you're doing. If you don't passionately believe in what you're doing, then you're never going to get through the shitty times. And there are so many of them. When you're building a business from scratch so i think that you have to absolutely believe in what you're doing whether it's baby blankets or moonshine or offering a service and i do think that you have to do your research to understand what's happening in the market and specifically the category in which you're introducing a product or service And become an expert in that before you even attempt to disrupt that market segment or try and elevate a product or a service within it. Because that's what you do You're trying to disrupt, right? I didn't create muslin and I didn't create moonshine. They already existed. What I did that's the same for both of these businesses is just try to elevate what was already on the market.
0: That is wonderful advice. So first thing was, learn how to sell. The second thing was you have to be passionate about the product. And the third one is you must educate yourself on the market and become an expert on that market before you decide to go in to disrupt it.
1: Understand it. Absolutely.
0: Those are wonderful words of advice. So thank you so much, Reagan, And once again, for all of you listening, the book is What It Takes, How I Built a $100 Million Business Against the Arts. And Reagan's website is Aiden NNA. And for those of you who enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and leave us a review. So thank you, everyone. And thank you, Reagan, for being on the Mind Valley podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.